Parental dysfunction and potential separation of a spouse is a horrible experience that happens too often in Christian marriages. Christian marriages are not impervious to sin and the problems that happen to us. But did you know that there is a way to separate well from your spouse and there is a way to do it badly? Separation and divorce are not what we should do. Now, I'm not making a case for separation or divorce. I am against it, but I'm also a realist and I know that it happens. And when it happens, It is critical that we do it the right way. And so in this podcast, I want to present to you a case study that has come from years of counseling husbands and wives that have left each other. Some of them have done it well, and in some cases they have even reconciled. And then there are others who have done it poorly, and they ended up pushing the leaving spouse even farther from the marriage and ending up in divorce. And so in this case study... I have the wife leaving the husband, but as you listen to what I'm about to share with you, you can flip this fictional narrative around to where the husband is leaving, because the truths that I want to share with you do apply to both genders. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for being here. You're listening to Life Over Coffee. If you benefit from the Life Over Coffee podcast and uh, you do have the time and desire, please go on the platform that you are listening to and write us a nice review and give us a five-star rating And that is one way you can partner with us in this gospel that we are trying to share with folks around the world. The title of this podcast is How to Separate Well from Your Wife. And let me reiterate that I am not making a case for separation or divorce. I am truly against it. Uh, But again, I do know that it happens. And so I want to share with you the accumulation of a lot of counseling that I have done over the years. In fact, in this um, podcast or the article that I'm sharing with you, I have an infographic that explains part of the things I'm going to I'm going to talk about. And if you do have time, go to our ministry's website and then look for uh, this infographic inside the article. And by the way, you can read everything that I'm sharing with you. We had someone ask recently, how can they print off our articles? And that's really easy to do. All you have to do is slide down to the bottom, scroll to the bottom of the article, And you will see a print button, and if you print it, you can print it off to your printer, or you can print it off to a a PDF and have a hard copy on your computer. Uh, There's a friend of our ministry who actually prints most of our articles off and saves them in a binder, and so they're creating a three-ring binder of our articles so they can use it as quick reference material. I'm so glad to hear stories like that. I want you to use our content and I do want you to share, and again, if you can partner with us by writing a review, I would really appreciate it. So if you want to read it or listen to it, you'll find the article and the podcast embedded on our ministry's website titled, How to Separate Well from Your Spouse. Let's get into it. Mabel had enough. Their marriage stopped being fun many years ago. She appealed to Biff to change more times than she could remember. She hoped, she prayed, she appealed. And then she did it all over again. And this cycle went on for years. Of course, Biff made promises to reform, 
but he never changed. He modified his behavior, external behavioral modification, but his heart was always in the same place like a stain bleeding through a white fence. The old ways would always creep back into their lives. Partial or inconsistent change was not good enough for Mabel. She began to lose hope that he would ever change. Finally, she bit the bullet and left him after 23 years of marriage. Biff was devastated. The irony of the separation is that Mabel had always been the willing one to give in, to acquiesce, to talk about the problems, and even bend whichever way she needed to persevere, or to preserve, rather, the marriage. Biff, on the other hand, was always strong, stubborn, determined, resistant. At some level of his heart, he knew he needed to change, but he was never motivated to do what it took. And then the day Mabel left, the narrative flipped. Things flipped utterly. Biff became a pleading mess while Mabel grew strong, cold, focused, and unrelenting in her decision to leave. Now, I have seen this personality swap, this personality switch many times when a marriage goes past the breaking point. While in the marriage, one spouse is hopeful, prayerful, and willing to work things out with their mate. The other spouse is not interested in putting forth the effort needed to reform the marriage. Biff was comfortable. He would not see past his self-centeredness to consider what his wife desired for their relationship. She stopped waiting, and she turned off the switch. Like reaching up and hitting the switch to a light, she turned it off. Things went dark in her heart. She stopped hoping, and she started planning and exit strategy. Her emotional attitude turned cold. What used to be a willing, unassuming woman had transformed into a vicious survival of the fittest competitor. She felt justifiably free to do what she wanted to do. Those still married, attitudinally and practically, she had moved on with her life. Biff, who used to be a self-controlled fortress of self-absorption, turned into that sad pile of mush. He was dumbfounded and confused. He said that he never saw it coming, which is probably true. He was so into himself that it never occurred to him that she would play the divorce card. Biff was free-falling. His life compass was spinning wildly. He had no mental or spiritual equilibrium. He felt hopeless and lost. He comes to you for help to figure out what to do next. He is anxious. I must do something. And in paralysis. I don't know what to do. Mabel's not like this at all. She turned off that light switch several weeks ago and has already indexed forward with her life. What Biff is going through now, hopelessness, is what Mabel has been going through for years. After she had given up on the marriage, she became a proactive planner, not a pleader. 
when a spouse's heart turns as cold as ice and the emotion and hope for the relationship have gone down the drain, the spouse can be shockingly clear-headed about what she wants, even to the point of being brutal. Things unraveled. You can predict what will happen next. The husband, Biff in this case, will overreact, desperately trying to win her back. He morphs into an inauthentic Prince Charming. His desperate behaviors have only begun. At some point, he will go into his groveling, pleading, and begging mode. It will be an all-out, last-ditch effort to get her back into the fold. The thing he does not understand is that he has the world's worst breath to his wife. I have said this so many times to so many people who are trying to get their spouse back, whether it is the wife trying to get her husband back after she has been mean for so many years or uncaring for so many years, or the husband, as in this fictional case study here, that everything you do will have a bad smell to it because you have a historical record of not caring, and now all of a sudden you become this Prince Charming and and you look like you're caring. You may be even thinking that you are caring in the most authentic way, but you have the world's worst breath. Everything that you do has a bad smell to it. And in this case study, Mabel can see right through Biff. His requests are repulsive to her. She is beyond convincing that ship has sailed. If he could discern how she thinks now, he would realize how convinced she is that nothing has changed. In fact, you could process her reasoning like the following. I want to give you a dozen, maybe, thoughts that Mabel is having about Biff's advances to try to win her back. Here are some of the things that she is probably thinking. One, he does not have my best interest at heart. Two, he blindly talks about himself, how bad he is doing and how bad he needs me. We can't go into groveling mode in a situation like this. Number three, he does not hear himself or how awful his words sound to me. Number four, he is now doing things I hoped he would do for years. Number five, rather than doing them with a pure heart, he does them because of what he is losing. Number six, he is not about me, but himself, his losses, and his wants. Number seven, I know he will revert to his old ways should I come back, and this is the great suspicion that any spouse will have about a spouse who suddenly flips into another individual that they haven't been uh, in years. Number eight, what he does not understand is that he should be pursuing God, not me. I want to talk about that in just a moment. This is really the heart of the issue. You see, Biff has never been pursuing God or not pursuing God the right way. He's always either been about himself, and now that his wife has left, he's still not pursuing God. He's still about himself as he's trying to get her to come back. Number nine, the problems before and after I left are because of his weak relationship with God. Oh, may we understand this. And then finally, number 10, ultimately, he's not about God, but about getting his life back. 
Now, if Biff awakes from his relational stupor, he may see the light. Snapping out of it is the best thing that could happen to him now. God is calling Biff to do something that will be nearly impossible for him to do. He will need to do what he has not been doing all along. He needs to pursue God with all of his heart, all of his mind, and all of his strength. Usually at this point in the counseling session, if I can get there and the relational bridge is is built and he understands where I'm coming from, I would say something like this. You just need to forget your spouse. Forget about your spouse. And what I mean what I mean by that is is kind of what Jesus was saying in, in Luke 14, that you should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that all other loves look like hate in comparison. He says, if you do not hate your, excuse me, if you do not do not hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your own life, uh, then you cannot have me. Basically, that's what he was saying. Now, that is hyperbolic language. He's not saying that we should hate anyone, but he's setting the distance uh, that is so profound between the love that we have for humans does not even compare to the love that we have for God. It's kind of like going down the road where you're driving 55 miles an hour and somebody passes you at 100 miles per hour and and you say, wow, he passed me like I was sitting still. That's hyperbolic language. You're not sitting still. You're going 55 miles an hour. But he is going so fast, it looks like you're sitting still. Biff needs that kind of love for God. And that's why I would say, in context of of this article that I'm sharing with you, he needs to forget about his spouse. He needs to be so hot in pursuit of God, an impassioned man. And when he gets that dialed in into who God is and how God wants to affect his soul, uh, then he's in the right place to uh, start thinking about uh, having a relationship with his wife. Before Mabel left, Biff was confident, performing in his own strength kind of guy. He was self-assured, even to the point of ignoring his wife. He could do whatever he wanted to do, and it never occurred to him how things could be different between them. After Mabel left, Biff resorted to other self-reliant strategies. You see, he's never changed. He was self-reliant, self-centered while in the marriage. Now he's self-reliant and self-centered that the marriage is dysfunctional. He would say it like this, I can get her back by using my wits and my strengths. Whether before or after, the theme in Biff's life was that he was not walking in humility, wisdom, or power. The things that come from the Lord. He forgot God during his marriage. Now he is forgetting God in his pursuit to win his wife back. There's a text of Scripture that helps us to think about this. It is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 and verse 25. Now, you can read the whole paragraph, but 18 and 25 say this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For the, This is verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Notice the juxtaposition that God's strength looks like 
weakness, and God's wisdom looks like foolishness, and that's one of the reasons that we don't we don't ascertain it and apply it to our lives because it sounds foolish and it looks weak. Well, Biff needs to do something that is biblically foolish. He needs to humble himself. He needs to pursue God rather than his wife. Biff is going to have to do something counterintuitive to his native thinking and behaving. That is the beauty and the power of the gospel. Though it does not make sense to the natural mind, the gospel is wisdom and power to those submitted to it. The question is, how can a dying man, Christ, be power and wisdom? How can walking in weakness be God's will? How can dying to myself give me the desires of my heart? When a person like Biff comes for help, I usually share the content of the concepts that I'm relaying to you. My goal for him is threefold. One, I want him to see how he has been living his life selfishly, self-reliant, using his own strength. Number two, I want to I want him to see how he is still living his life selfishly, self-reliant, working under his own power. And then number three, I want him to see how living a gospel-centered life is a better way to go. Now, this perspective is hard to grasp for a self-reliant person like Biff. And though my request is simple, trust the Lord, it is nearly impossible for someone as desperate as an individual losing his spouse like Biff. To him, or to help him see what I'm saying, I do. I have used this visual. I referenced it earlier. It is inside this article here. The article that I'm sharing with you is titled, <clears throat> excuse me, How to Separate Well from Your Spouse. And if you type the words separate well, that's all you have to do, in the search box of our website, this article will pop up and you can look at this graphic. You can also find this graphic on our infographic page where we have more than a hundred graphics that I have sketched out from actual counseling sessions. And so this graphic here inside this article did come from a real counseling session. Now, I put it inside this article and fictionalized this case study, but these are the things that I try to communicate to a person like Biff who is in a situation just like this because I want him to visually see uh, what has happened in his marriage and what he is doing at this point to sabotage his marriage. And so let me, I'm going to try to clearly explain this graphic to you in this podcast, but if you can jump over on our website, I would love for you to take a look at it because I think it will benefit you. Now, initially in the graphic, Biff and Mabel were side by side moving in the same direction in their marriage meaning they were pursuing the Lord. They got married, uh, they left the church building or wherever they, uh, th their covenant began, and they were pursuing the Lord 
side by side. And then adverse things begin to happen in their marriage, meaning sin began to come in between them, and they did not biblically respond, meaning they did not have a sin plan. They did not know how to repent of those things that were dividing them, and so therefore they could not or did not remove the negative stuff that was coming between them. Now, Mabel starts to perceive that there is something wrong, and her soul becomes troubled. Now, her first response is to make requests and appeals and pleas for Biff to lead differently, but nothing changes. After a few years of asking, she grows distant in her marriage. It's, it's like where they were standing side by side, but now Mabel relationally creates more distance between her and Biff. And so she is moving, let's say, to to the right, and there is a growing gap between them. Biff perceives this relational distance, but instead of pursuing the Lord, he reacts out of fear or reacts out of anger. He wants to close that gap that has widened between them, but instead of moving toward the Lord, he moves toward Mabel, and he begins to push her farther and farther away in his pursuit of her. What he never does see is that what he needs to do is that he needs to focus on God, move in that direction regardless of what, of what Mabel does. And so as Biff continues to pressure Mabel rather than focusing on the Lord, well, then she just continues to move farther and further away from him until eventually she moves out of the marriage. And Biff is complicating things by pushing her further, and it will worsen. He will worsen a terrible problem if he does not realign his heart to God rather than his desperate attempts to stop his wife from leaving. The point here is that he needs to let her make her choices regardless of what they are while he chooses to follow the Lord irrespective of the consequences of the marriage. Pursuing God rather than his wife is his best shot at restoring the marriage. Biff needs to go back to where God wants him to be. He needs to focus on pursuing the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, regardless of whether his wife comes back to him. He needs God more than he needs his wife. God calls a woman to submit and to follow her husband. It is essential for the man to give her something to submit to, to respect, and to follow. This something is a God-impassioned man. I've often said that a Christian woman would have to be out of her mind not to want a man who loved the Lord more than anything else. I was just doing a marriage conference, a marriage retreat last week at Orangeville Baptist Church in Plainwell, Michigan, and one of the things that I said to them is that the man, the husband, should never be the leader of the home. That is a dangerous place for a man to be. The leader of the home must always be the Lord. The hierarchy is the Lord is on point. He is the leader of the home. And then the man, then the wife, then the children, and then the puppy. That is the hierarchy of a home. A man should never be on point, but that is the problem in this marriage. Biff was leading, not God.
A man who is authentically pursuing God can be trusted because he's not relying on himself, but fully trusting in the Lord. Biff will have to decide what he is going to do. If he loves God rightly, he will be able to love his wife properly. If he is going to pursue his wife while giving God a courtesy nod, he will lose the possibility of restoring either relationship, his relationship with God and his relationship with his wife. Now, there is an unstated and obvious question that I'm sure many of you have thought about as you've listened to this podcast. Should Mabel quit her marriage? Well, the obvious answer to this question is, I don't know. This podcast is not about divorce. It's about separation and how to separate well when it happens. As I said at the beginning of this podcast, I'm not for separation. I'm not for divorce, but it does happen. And therefore, when you find yourself in this place, like as I've illustrated here with Biff specifically, even though you can switch this around, and apply these same things to Mabel if she was the problem in the marriage and Biff was leaving. If I talked to this couple about divorce, there would be much more data collecting and in-depth discussions about divorce. Again, her leaving is not the point of this piece. This podcast is about a separation that hopefully does not lead to divorce. Now, perchance these ideas don't work for whatever reason, we would have another discussion about divorce, but I trust that that would, would not happen. Too often when some hurting spouse listens to a podcast like this, they map their experience over what they are reading rather than perceiving what I am saying from a more objective perspective. And so I trust uh, you know, now that our readership has grown globally and not just my handful of friends are reading or listening to our podcast any longer, they don't know me, and many of these people are not familiar with the body of work that I have out there, and too often they they step into an article like this and they map their experience over it rather than allowing the article to speak uh, for itself. Just as Biff has many issues that he needs to address, rest assured that Mabel also needs to mature in Christ. No couple who separates is a guiltless partner. And part of why I say this is because uh, a friend uh, read this article a number of years ago. We were sitting on a picnic table in Fresno, uh, California, and he told me, he said, I read that article about separating well, and I wanted to hit you. Now, he's sitting right beside me at the time that he's telling me this, and he's much bigger than me. And I thought, well, I hope you're over it now. But what he was doing, he was mapping his experience over it, and he was insulted by the article because he couldn't read it for what it was. And that's why I've tried to be clear that Mabel is not a guiltless individual here. That's why I've also said you could switch this around and apply it to uh, Mabel as well as the one who is guilty as Biff is in this podcast that I've been sharing. Sometimes when I uh, talk about marriage problems and I'm taking a particular 
position in this article as far as Biff being the more guilty one. Husbands like this man in Fresno, California, will read it and say, well, what about if my wife is a witch? Well, I understand that wives can be very bad people, but so I just appeal to you not to map your experience over what you're hearing here and read it as objectively as you possibly can and then apply what you can apply to your life. It always takes two people to destroy the covenant that they have made. In this podcast, I have addressed what Biff should do to separate with the hope of reconciling properly. If Mabel were willing to come to counseling, I would want to help her see how she could redemptively participate in restoring the marriage with the hope of reconciling it to the Lord. The title of the podcast is How to Separate Well. From your spouse, here's a call to action. I have some questions at the bottom, three of them that I would love for you to consider. Number one, is your marriage growing in disunity? That is a yes or no question. I realize that it is close-ended, but I do want you to uh, answer the question, yes or no. Is your marriage growing in disunity? Your marriage is not static. It is moving in one direction or another. Our marriages are quite fluid. Which way is your marriage going? Uh, growing together in unity or growing apart in separation, relational distance. Number two, are you more interested in pursuing the Lord or fixing your broken marriage? You should do both of those things, but this is a 1A, 1B question. One of these things has to come first, and that's the biggest point that I'm making in this podcast is that if we are not fixated on pursuing God, then whatever we try to do to fix our marriage will will have problems. Both of these things must happen, but the first priority is pursuing God. Number three, what is one specific and practical way that you could change so your, so your relationship with God is better? Perhaps your spouse has mentioned one of these things to you. If so, what did your spouse say? You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.